big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Before we begin today, we'd like to thank our newest patrons, Jake and Paula. If you want to be like them and get access to exclusive content like outtakes, bonus episodes, and more, head on over to patreon.com slash pod and prejudice. It's almost 2021, thank God, and we've got some exciting stuff planned for our patrons in the new year. So now is definitely the time to sign up. And without further ado, enjoy this week's episode covering the final part of the 1995 BBC version of Pride and Prejudice with our guest, Kari Walzer. I wish I liked sports. Same. I actually do like sports. I like certain sports, but I don't usually follow baseball. I like played soccer for a little bit when I was a kid, and it was just not a good mix. Like they'd make me like defense or goalie, and I would legit be like standing on the other end of the field, like picking up dandelions and dancing and playing in the grass. Amazing. <laughs> when I was five, I was on a soccer team, and I got tired, so I just lay down and took a nap in the middle of the field. I love that. Wow. I was also a terrible loser. So like if we lo- if if we lost the game, like I berated everybody on the team. You know who are the best sportsmen ever, according to Jane Austen, Bingley and Darcy. They play sports together. Oh yeah, they're excellent sportsmen. Yeah, which you didn't buy. You were like, these bitches aren't athletic. No, not at all. They could not stay on a horse. I mean, maybe maybe Darcy with that body. Mm. I mean, that's not wrong. We know he's a good swimmer because yeah, we do. Certain lake scenes happen. Yeah. Yes. But Bingley, no way. He could maybe do like sprints. He could do track and field. I feel like Bingley's more of a golf kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking more like if he was all cracked out, then he could like run yeah. really fast. <laughs> He'd be like, wow, look at that hit. It's far. I'm going to go get it. Bingley was definitely on a, the ultimate Frisbee team in college. Oh my yes. God, yes. I feel like this has come up before. I feel like Bingley would be definitely like a volleyball guy. Oh my God, yes, actually. like, And he's the guy like when you go to the beach, he's like, guys, let's get a team going. And you're yes. like, I want to sit and read my book. <laughs> he would also be the first person to get in the water. Yes, very much so. That's also me. I love getting in the water. Anyway, should we introduce ourselves and get it going? Yes, we should. This is Becca. This is Molly. We're here to talk about Jade Austen. We are here specifically to talk about the second half of episode six of the 1995 BBC masterpiece version of Pride and Prejudice, starring Colin Firth and Jennifer Eel. And we have with us today a very special guest. You may remember him from our last episode. If you don't remember him from our last episode, I highly recommend going back and listening to our last episode. We have my friend Kari Walzer here with us today. Hello, Kari. Kari, welcome to the pod. Hey, guys. What's up? Hello from my iced coffee to yours, if you're holding one. Mine is a hot coffee, but... Mine is in my stomach already, but it was a large cold brew. Well, I'm gay and all I drink is iced coffee. (laughs) I don't know what water is. The uniform. Who needs hydration when you can have uh, jitters? (laughs) Yeah, good, good caffeine. 
Kari, do you want to tell the people a little bit about yourself before we get started? Well, I live in the New Jersey, New York area. I'm a designer. I'm an actor. I write now because quarantine. Mm -hmm. I like met Molly through a theater company. And that's how like, that's how we became friends. And that's why I'm here. And I'm so happy to be here. Yay. We're so happy to have you. So much to dish on in the last half of this episode. This is the final bit of this mini series. And it's a lot. It's a lot. A lot's going on. So we should get right back into it. Where we left off, we left off after scene three, which was when Bingley proposed to Jane. We love to see it. We truly do. This is also how randomly how we broke up talking about the book as well. Like that set of chapters and this set of chapters. Wow. It's almost like it was a good stopping point and the episode knew it. What a coincidence. (laughs) What a little reprieve in the plot. (laughs) So starting out scene four, Mr. Bennett is saying goodbye to Bingley. They all walk outside. And I loved this one quote. He was like, there are a few men whose society I can tolerate with equanimity, but I believe you may turn out to be one of them. And he's like inviting him to come back and shoot on their property. And sweet, sweet Bingley gets on his horse and he's like, I'll be back tomorrow. And then he does this cute little hat tip where he he takes his hat off and he's like, till tomorrow then. So much better than Wickham's au revoir. Oh my God, cringeworthy. Gag. (laughs) Then Daddy Bennett congratulates Jane on this whole situation. And that moment that I thought was so weird in the book where he's like, you will always be too generous and run out of money and all of that stuff was adorable here. I told you. Yeah, it was really cute. Everyone was laughing and joking around. It was very cute. So he says that. Then Jane and Lizzie have a moment and Jane is like, I want you to be as happy as I am. And Lizzie says she'll never be as happy as Jane until she has Jane's goodness. but. If she meets with luck, she may in time meet with another Collins and then they laugh about that too. I feel like that's the equivalent nowadays of your friend who's like, oh, don't worry, bitch, I'll be alone forever, but you go off, be be happy. Exactly. Child, that is me. (laughs) (laughs) Like there was one point where like all of my best friends had had boyfriends and I'd be like the one friend that didn't. I'd be like, so how's everyone's lives going? Oh, you guys went to dinner together? Yeah, well, I had uh, wine on my couch last night by myself. But how are you guys? <laughs> Listen, this is going to pay off in the long run because when everyone has kids, it's like, oh, that's fun. You stayed in last night and your kid woke you up at 4 a.m. because he pooped the bed. Guess what I got? Nine hours of sleep. But joke's mm-hmm. on me because I also want kids. So. Oh, no. <laughs> like, literally, I cannot wait to have little Meryl and little Anne. Oh, I love these names. Eldest daughter, Meryl, after Meryl Street because, duh. Obviously. And then is Anne after Anne de Berg or? <laughs> no, Anne Hathaway. Oh my God, that's so much better. And then I think one of my kids is going to have the middle name Viola because Viola Davis. Oh, incredible. Oh, wow, also, I Also, very Devil Wears Prada heavy. I love it. Yeah, I was going to say. Well, like, they were like the first two, like, actors that I, like, encountered that made me want to be an actor. So, like. Oh my God. I was, like, in seventh grade when I saw, like, Devil Wears Prada and I was like, who are these people? That makes me so happy. Oh, this is so sweet. And then, like, I think the same year I also saw Doubt. Oh, my God. Like, why am I watching Doubt in seventh grade? But I did. And I was, like, encountered Viola Davis. And I was, like, who is this woman? So if I ever get an Oscar and I'm at the Oscars, I'm going to say thank you to them. Oh, yes. (laughs) Listeners, you heard it here first. You have Kari Walzer on the market. 
sweet, hilarious, wants two daughters named Marilyn Ann. If you're interested, just slide into those DMs. <laughs> and I will give you fashion advice. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Listeners, right now, Kari is wearing a mesh top and it is just, it's glittery and perfect. It's functional, but also stylish. And I love a combination of those two things. So You are putting Molly and me to shame in this moment. Oh, come now. Actually, Molly's got the cute little headdress going on right now. That is a cute little headband going on. Oh, I did that because my hair was a mess and I found it. I was just like, all right, put it on. My hair is a mess. And instead, I'm treating you guys to this Luke. I mean, hey, we're all in the comfort of our own home, you know? Comfort of my own closet. That should be a song. That should be a song about coming of age and like coming out. The comfort of my own closet. Oh, I'm going to write it. Yeah, I was going to say, you write that. You write the song, Molly. That sounds like a song that like Alessia Cara would write. But who what? Oh my God. Yes. Alessia Cara. Do you know the stars and you're beautiful? There's stars and you're beautiful. beautiful. That was a hit song. She's excellent. Oh. She also sang the pop version of the song from Moana. Oh. Uh. Good. Which is a great version. I love that version. Anyway, back to Jane Austen. So then the music goes into like dun 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 dun, and Lady Catherine de Bourgh's carriage arrives. Why does Lady Catherine exist in a different movie than the rest of the characters? Because she's rich. <laughs> oh, that's smart. Yeah. Like literally, just like her whole like thing is just like it's an event when they go to her house. It's an event. She has like her little throne going on. I mean, her outfit in this part is. Yes. Something. I will give her that. Like she has some very cute fashion moments, you know, with like the little, um, oh God, what do you call it? The thing you put your arms through. I should know this. The muff. Yes, the muff. The muff. I'm like, all right, okay, opulence. Yes. And it has the little black things coming off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The little tassels. It looks like an animal. It was a fashion moment. And like, even when they were like, went to visit her earlier, it was like, she was like wearing a dress that was like matching the room that she was in. And I was like, okay, color coordinated. Yeah, but that's really like her whole thing is this one color scheme, though. It's better than the Bingley sisters' color scheme, though. Honestly, I like their color scheme. (gasps) I hate them, love their fashion. The only time I had a quarrel with their fashion was when Lizzie came to their house, I think for like dinner or whatever. It's after Lizzie leaves and like the two sisters are like trying to like drag her and they're like, oh, she's she's so plain looking. She's so this, she's so that. And one of them was wearing this ugly ass bonnet. And I'm like, sis, you can't be saying these things and then wearing a diaper on your head. I'm sorry. <laughs> you just don't have the range. A diaper. It looked like a diaper. Like, like, like she placed a satin diaper on her head and put a feather in it. Which one was wearing that? I feel like it was Louisa. I think it was Louisa because she's married. She's the married one. Yeah, I think it was yep. Louisa. And I was like, that's not not cute. Well, uh, <laughs> Lady Catherine, also <laughs> not cute, but in a different way because she like she comes in style, right? She comes up in her carriage and we hear her barging in. She's like walking past Mrs. Hill. Mrs. Hill is like, wait, please, uh, wait here. I'll go get them. And she's like, I will not wait. She looks like Neville's grandma. In Harry Potter. Yeah, she does have that Severus Snape look from the Bogart. Why do I not remember Neville's grandma? She has like this big hat that like comes up over the top of her head. I don't know, just major Neville's grandma vibes here. Maybe I got to rewatch. Rewatch the like third movie and there's like the scene where Neville turns Snape into his like grandma's outfit. Wait, I think I vaguely remember that. Vaguely, vaguely, vaguely. Yeah, yeah. We can post a picture of it on our Instagram. Yes. Absolutely. It's the vibe. (laughs) So she comes down and she sits down and she's just being so rude. She is expecting Lizzie to introduce her to everyone and Lizzie is just so shocked to see her there that she's not doing anything. And Lady Catherine insults the drawing room 
and Mrs. Bennett tries to explain and she just cuts her off. She like came in and she was all like, mm, this, this is such an inconvenient drawing room. It must be so unbearable. Uh, how are you going to come in my house talking about the placement of windows not being what to the east? Fuck out of here. And also, she starts to make Mrs. Bennett small for the first time in the film. Yes. It's Like, Miss Bennett was, like, quiet, and she's never quiet. It's like Gretchen Wieners when Regina George comes around. Yes. <laughs> Stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Oh, my God. So then she's like, Lizzie, there's a, a sort of prettyish area off to the side. I'm going to go walk there if you would care to join me or some shit like that. And so they go into the garden. And this is the whole thing where she tells Lizzie she found out that she's getting married to Darcy and she will not have it. She needs Lizzie to tell her it's not true. And Lizzie, what I realized here is that her natural state is just feisty. Like, she's not even being like, what are you talking about? She just goes right into I'm defending myself with sass. I call this scene the Bennett and DeBerg brawl because like. Lizzie is just like, oh, so you want to run up on me at my house telling me what to do? No, ma'am, not this. And like, I just feel like this is like one of the best scenes in this entire thing, because like, I feel like this is the first time that Lizzie isn't trying to like hide her crisis or like be subtle about it. She's straight up telling this woman how it is. Mm hmm. And it's just like, they're just going at it. And it's just, and also some of the best acting for, from her, at least in my opinion, and like the whole thing. It's just like- I totally agree. The amount of like restraint, because you just know that like, if it was any other place, she would have reached across so quick. I knew immediately how this would be settled in the animal world. Literally, literally. <laughs> Two lionesses fighting over that one man and one's about to lose their face. Oh, yes. You basically just said what I had written down, which is first of all, that this is the, one of the best acting moments in the entire thing. And the other thing is that, like, this is the first time, like, it's as if the entire time everyone has been saying shit about the Bennets behind their backs. And they know, but it's kind of, like, not talked about. And then Lady Catherine says what everyone's saying, or, like, everyone's, the Bennets are afraid everyone's saying, to Lizzie's face. So, like, it wasn't even, like, going for, like, her inner circle family was enough. She, like, went for, like, the aunties and uncles. And it was like, all right, now, now you're doing too much. Now we're talking about aunties and uncles. Yes. People you've probably never even met or know know very little about. And you're just coming for them. Also, that was a part where she started shouting. That was when Lizzie said that they're equals because Darcy's a gentleman and she's a gentleman's daughter. And she went, don't think I don't know who your mother is. And she got so loud and the music was swelling. And Lizzie was like, are you shitting me right now? I just love, like, Lizzie's face during this entire thing because you could tell if she had a moment, she would have reached across and snatched her face from her body. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because, like, that's just, like, high disrespect. Something I noticed in this that I didn't write down because I thought it might be a little bit weird, but I'm going to say it anyway, is that, first of all, the lighting in this, the sun is shining directly on Lizzie and Lady Catherine's kind of in shadow, like, facing the other way. And their eyeballs... <laughs> what about the eyeballs? <laughs> what is this about? <laughs> First of all, Lizzie has beautiful hazel eyes. Yes. She does. And she's she's looking right into the sun, basically, but her pupils are a normal size, whereas then we go to Lady Catherine, who's in the shadow, but, and her eyes are, like, silvery blue, like, very, very pale and kind of boring, and then there's no dimension to them, and her pupils are just little specks in the middle of her eyeballs, and I like to think that it's because she's always sitting in a dark room, so even just being outside makes her pupils contract. To me, she looked bug-eyed. Well, she, her eyes are huge. Like, she just has some big-ass eyes. And her pupils are teeny-tiny. Itty-bitty living space. Yeah, and she's got, like, cat-butt mouth. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Just, like, 
the lips so pursed they look like a cat's butt. Yes, quite <laughs> quite disgusting, I assure you. Ew. Yes. Well, anyway, that was my note about their eyeballs during the scene. Um, <laughs> this is taking a turn. Yeah, I don't know where that came from, but anyway. Oh, but I will say that this was a good fashion moment for Lizzie because she had that really cute jacket on, and I screenshotted it because it was super, super cute, and I was like, maybe I need to make this for myself. Usually, like, I don't really give a shit about Lizzie's fashion because she even shows up to the function looking like she rolled out of bed <laughs> and her mother's always doing her up. That is offensive. I'm offended because I love her fashion. Listen, I'm just telling you how it is. She be showing up to the function looking like however. She, she's got a few really uh, awesome shrugs, though. OK, yeah, she does. And she has like one really cute hat. But no, good fashion moment for, for, for Lizzie. That was important to me. Indeed. Um, let's see. I tried to keep track of like the events of this fight, but it was all so good that a lot of my notes just say, ah, um, some things that happen not in this order. Lizzie tells her ladyship that she has declared it to be impossible for Darcy to propose to her so she shouldn't be worried. And I really loved this moment in particular where Lady Catherine is like, no, Darcy's engaged to my daughter. And Lizzie's like, okay, then you shouldn't be worried about him proposing to me. And then she goes, well, their engagement is of a, a, a peculiar nature. And she got so nervous. I love that. Oh, it's so defensive because they're just not engaged. Right, That's exactly. That's just the truth. I also just forgot how intense the hat was on Lady Catherine DeBerg. It's very Neville's grandma, am I right? It's so Neville's grandma. I want to say what this hat looks like, but we're on a podcast. Oh, say it. It's okay. We have an E for explicit. It looks like an uncut dick, like a wrinkly uncut dick. <gasps> That's what her hat looked like. <laughs> Like a wrinkly, uncut chode. Yes. She was giving me volcano penis realness. Wow. Oh, man. I think you just knocked me down a heterosexual peg. <laughs> Mount Vesuvius, BB. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. I'll never be able to watch this again. <laughs> Some other things that happen in this part. She says, there's a line in the book where she says, I am the nearest relation he has and I deserve to know all his business. And this she says, I am almost the nearest relation he has. So who's nearer? Georgie. Yeah, his sister. Ah, true. And Fitzwilliam, honestly, like, they're best friends, sort of. Yeah, but they're they're cousins. Fitzwilliam is fine as hell. Right? He's so hot, right? Like, distractingly hot. I miss him. Listen, if she had not ended up with Darcy, I was like, so maybe Fitzwilliam? One of the greatest travesties of this miniseries, which there are very few, it's a very loyal adaptation of the books, is one, that Fitzwilliam is described as not very hot, but very charming in the books when they cast an extremely hot man to play him. And that Wickham is consistently talked about as the hottest man alive. Wickham was not, Wickham, whatever, <laughs> no. Wickham was not what, what, what I ordered. <laughs> and I'd like to send it back, please. Oh, yes. Well, wait till Molly sees the 2005 Kira Knightley version. Ooh, child. Sees that, Wickham. I think I'm going to watch it tonight. Oh, my God. Weirdly enough, in the miniseries, Collins, troll. But, like, in the movie, Collins is like, I'd let him call me. Um, I'm sorry. I thought you said Colin is a troll, and I thought you were speaking about my love, Colin Firth. Oh, my God. No, no, Colin's like cousin Colin. Yeah, David Bamber, he, he looks... 
I forget who was who first said this, but I think it was Caroline. Oh yes, this was Caroline. It was the he looks like the human manifestation of sweat. Ah! Yeah. Another thing Lady Catherine does is she circles Lizzie while they're talking while she's talking about how their relationship would be a disgrace. That I did not like. No, but Lizzie was staring straight ahead. She was like, I am not gonna look at your face while you reach across and beat up this old woman. Mm -hmm. This is when she calls her an Obstinate, headstrong girl. Iconic line. Which is a compliment. Right? There are so many t-shirts on Etsy that say obstinate, headstrong girl. I got Molly a t-shirt the other day, like a few weeks ago, actually. That was like a Pride and Prejudice themed t-shirt as a present. I posted it on our Instagram or our Twitter. It was very cute. But uh, I saw... When I was looking at Pride and Prejudice themed shirts, half of them just said obstinate, headstrong girl. And I was like, huh. That's the line that really sticks from this movie. I actually need to look something up in my book because in the book, I remember her calling her a unfeeling selfish girl, but I actually don't recall if this line is in the book. I do believe it's just in the miniseries. Yeah, no, if it was in the book, we would have talked about it. So we absolutely would have. Yeah, like that's what I'm saying. I'm like 99% sure it's not in the book. So listener, you can correct us if you're wrong. And if you want to send us obstinate headstrong girl mugs we will accept them gladly any obstinate headstrong girl paraphernalia we're happy to accept but this goes to that there are a couple critics who say that this is the definitive adaptation of pride and prejudice to the point where many people associate certain plot points or lines with the story that don't happen in the book just in this miniseries for example the lake scene is something that people think happened in the book And this line is another one where people are like, yeah, that's in the book. And it's not. Nope, it's not. Another one that we talked about last episode, I feel like maybe, was when Bingley was like, so you admit that you are wrong? And Darcy's like, yes, absolutely. And he's like, that I have your blessing? And Darcy's like, do you need it? (laughs) I feel like that feels so much like it could have been in the book, but it's not. And it's such a nice addition. Very much. Yeah. It's just, it goes to show how much uh, Andrew Davies, who wrote this miniseries, really understands the material he's adapting. Totally. So back to Lady Catherine de Bourgh. Yes. (laughs) She then, like Lizzie says, she's not going to make any such promise that she will never marry Darcy. And she walks away. And that's when Lady Catherine is like, well, I know all about your sister too. And let me tell you, blah, 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 blah. And then she goes, she stands at the gate of the garden. And she basically like puts a hand to her forehead and goes, are the shades of Pemberley to be thus polluted. Yeah, she's full Jessica Lang in this performance. Yes, Jessica Lang and like feud, Bet and Joan. Like iconic, like anytime that Joan Crawford had a temper tantrum on that series, this was her in this moment. That is exactly correct. Joan Crawford here. Very Joan. I really loved that at a certain point, Lizzie was just like, I am not dealing with this anymore and walks away from her. I love that. She's like, listen, you insulted my family. I'm going back in the house. You can stay out here if you want to. Bye. <laughs> and then Lady Catherine like runs after her and she gets in the ca- the carriage. And this is my favorite part <laughs> of the entire miniseries. She said, I take no leave of you, Miss Bennett. I send no compliments to your mother. You deserve no <laughs> such attention. I am most seriously displeased. I wish I could give zero stars. <laughs> there are two lines that I love of Lizzie's when like, Catherine Berg is like, you promised not to get engaged to him, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I will make no promise of the kind. And I must beg you not to importune me any further on the subject. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. She's like, listen, sweetheart. Yes. And then like literally when like Catherine Berg is about to get in her carriage and she's like, 
I am only resolved to act in a manner which will constitute my own happiness without reference to you or any person so wholly unconnected with me. Which means mind your damn business, Kathy. Uh, I want that on my tombstone. Mind your own damn business, Kathy. Mind your business, Kathy. Maybe we should get t-shirts that say that. That is the most <laughs> eloquent way of saying mind your fucking business that I've ever heard in my life. And I was living for it. Living. Incredible. My favorite part of this ending is that you look in the carriage and she just brought Andy Bird yeah. with her. <laughs> and she's just sitting in the carriage like half dead. Like, can we go now, auntie? I need to go. With her like her eye bags and she takes her little handkerchief and she like dabs yes. it at her nose and I'm like, girl, what kind of sick are you? I'm sorry. Like, no, like, live your truth. But Why did they let her out the house? Right? She was looking straight up zombie in that carriage. And I'm like, if her aunt loved her, she'd leave her ass at home. Let her stay with her freaking caretaker in the giant mansion instead of dragging her to go drag Lizzie. Literally. Literally. I wonder if Lady with Anna Berg, like loves Darcy. Sorry to her. <laughs> I'm sorry to this man. Sorry to this man. I do not know who this man is. I am sorry to this man. That is an old meme, but it, it just works so perfectly. I don't even here. know who this man is. He could be walking down the street and I wouldn't I wouldn't know a thing. <laughs> sorry to this man. <laughs> that never gets old. It never gets old. I, I just like imagine Catherine DeBerg is like, do you know Sophie Anderson from Twitter? She's like an OnlyFans porn star and she has like this one meme of her going, Hi, guys. You know who we are? You know who we are? And she's with that other porn star. And there's that one video of them going, Hi, guys. You know who you are? Like, literally, when, when Catherine Berg is like, Do you know who I am? I just imagine Sophie Anderson and her friend going, Hi, guys. You know who we are? <laughs> you know who we are? I am Catherine Berg. <laughs> Catherine DeBerg's OnlyFans account. Incredible. You know what the best part about that is? How much would Catherine DeBerg would hate that metaphor? (laughs) It's so perfect. So if there are any like UK listeners and you know who Sophie Anderton is, you know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host, Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. 
One more note before we move on to Becca's comment for this scene is that Becca's notes called Andaberg Baby de Bourbon. And I want to thank Autocorrect for that one. <laughs> that should be a cocktail, a themed cocktail for the episode. Oh, that'd be cute. Oh, man. It is not yet 1 p.m., but, you know, I wouldn't be mad. <laughs> so my study comment on this part is just that, like, the way that the scene is done and the way it's acted just is the story. The entire story is built around the question of whether or not these women can marry and whether or not they can rise above their stations. And I think it's a testament to not only how well acted this is, how well the scene was adapted, but also to the framing of the scene within the story that it really just does encapsulate the whole story into one scene that lacks one of the best and most important characters, Mr. Darcy. Mm. This scene, wait, I was going to say it passes the Bechdel test, but it doesn't at all. Oh, no, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) This story, I think, in general passes the Bechdel test. Does it? I feel like I've heard of this test. Oh, so the Bechdel test is like whether or not there are two named female characters in a movie that have a conversation that doesn't involve talking about a man. Ah. I really don't think that this film or this book passes the Bechdel test at all. This era. (laughs) I think Mary alone means it passes the Bechdel test. Well, in the book. Sure, but in the film, she is thirsting after Collins. I feel like it's got at some point. At some point. Listeners. Listeners. (laughs) Let us know. (laughs) Anyway, that's the end of that scene, which brings us to the penultimate scene. Scene five. the ultimate. Oh, my God. It's automatic. I'm sure of it. No lie. So don't even try. To tell me not you're, you're not, not the guy. Hang on, guys. I don't want to pay for the song. Okay, okay. Sorry, sorry, Lindsay Lohan. Daddy Bennett like goes into the hallway and he whispers to Lizzie and calls her into his room, all like clandestine. And he's like, "I have this thing I got to show you, and it's the letter from Collins." And I love that they're having this little moment together, but she, of course, it's very embarrassing for Lizzie. They go into the room, and Collins has written about knowing that Lizzie and Darcy are engaged and telling Daddy Bennett that it's a terrible idea. This made me wonder if Collins was the one who told Lady Catherine to begin with, because how did this rumor even get started? It's not clear exactly, but I do think that there's talk in the town, like after they were at Pemberley, you have like the servants, you have the Bingleys, you have the gardeners. A lot of people have seen the interaction between Darcy and Lizzie at this point that can spread word. And there's also obviously like, Charlotte noticed the interaction as well, and that could be part of it too. But I also think that Catherine Berg is just like, she's like the old grandma who like don't say nothing until it's time, but she's watching and she knows what's up. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. She's very like another Doubt and Abby reference. She's very like Dowager Countess, where like she's watching you, and then she'll like call you over for tea and be like, um, so but so what have you been doing? <laughs> and like you know that she knows but she ain't got to say it exactly and there's that line uh you don't care for being wrong i wouldn't know i'm not familiar with the sensation i tweeted that the other day literally <laughs> oh yeah you did literally tweeted that the other day when she was like aren't you gonna apologize certainly not how you hate to be wrong i would know i'm not familiar with the sensation Ooh, you know who would be a really good catherine de Berg? maggie smith Mm-hmm. Yes. Dame Maggie Smith. Dame Maggie Dame Smith. Maggie yes. Smith. Or Dame Judy Dench. Uh, Kari, you know who plays Catherine de Berg in the 2005 version? <laughs> You're so right. She does. <laughs> but you know, in the movie, she's far more glamorous than they made her in the miniseries. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You know what? I'm going to bring up another debate that Molly and I had at an earlier point, and I want, I want Kari to weigh in on oh, this. Oh, God. I feel like he'll be on my side. Okay. So, what I asked Molly when we first were reading the book, who she thought should play. 
Catherine de Bourgh. She said Gwyneth Paltrow, which I was like, what? weird choice, but okay. Here's the thing. Then, <laughs> Kari, you're not ready. You're not ready. You're not ready. So then she was like, oh, Judy Dench, that's actually who I meant. What? And then my mind was what? blown because somehow she had confused Gwyneth Paltrow and Dame Judy Dench. Well, actually, to be fair, later on, I realized that instead of Gwyneth Paltrow, who I actually meant was, um, what's her name? Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton. As Lady DeBerg. Not only did she want Tilda Swinton to play Catherine DeBerg, but she also confused Tilda Swinton with both Judy Dench and Gwyneth Paltrow. Paltrow. I think it's fair. No. I think it's a fair comparison. Well, I mean, like, you confused, like, two skinny blonde white women with a short old woman. <laughs> yeah. But Tilda Swinton is a creature unto herself. But it's true. They're two skinny blonde white women. And they both play kind of um, at some point. I think Gwyneth Paltrow plays the Queen of Hearts or something and Tilda Swinton, no? No, that was Helena Bottom Carter. Oh, fuck. Helena Bottom Carter played the played the Queen of Hearts. Okay, I want to backtrack. Tilda Swinton at one point played the White Witch. The Witch and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Which is a similar vibe to Dame Judi Dench. No. And, no? I, I, I don't... So, th- <laughs> we broke him. <laughs> this don't sit right with my spirit. Thank you. Okay, I'd like to add another another actress into the mix for Lady Catherine de Bourgh. Okay. Never mind, you'll yell it. No, say it. Anne Dowd, Margot Martindale. Oh, Margot Martindale would be great. No, I was going to say Helen Mirren. <gasps> oh, I'd see Ooh, it. I could see that for sure. That one, that one is a good pick. She'd be a great Lady de Bourgh. Thank you. Basically, any powerful elder women are perfect for Catherine de Bourgh. Yes, and I suppose that not Gwyneth Paltrow, but listeners, I'd like to put it down on the record that I just made a, a good casting choice. <laughs> but you know what? I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow is a part of the whole Jane Austen franchise anyway because she was an Emma. That's true. That's what I was saying because Gwyneth Paltrow, Judy Dench, and you named somebody else were all in different Jane Austen adaptations. Oh, God bless Toni Collette and Emma. But I digress. Anyway, back yes, to... Yes, we really have digressed. Haven't we really we? did. So... The letter from Collins says he knows that she is engaged and Daddy Bennett's like, oh, to who do you think that you're engaged? And then he reads the next line and he goes, it's Mr. Darcy. (laughs) I loved his reaction. He thinks it's hilarious, this whole thing. He's like, I think it might be one of my winning quotes um, where he said, Mr. Darcy, you see, is the man. Mr. Darcy, of all men, who has never looked at a woman other than to find a blemish. Lizzie is, uh, what is it, stressed? She is excessively diverted. And then he's like, oh, well, why, why did Lady Catherine come? I suppose she came to refuse her consent, eh? And then he waggles his eyebrows. And Lizzie's like, ha, 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 it's so funny. It's so funny. Yeah, Lizzie, every time it cuts to Lizzie and she's like, Oh, I have to force myself to laugh now. Ha ha ha. And then he looks away and she like looks down and she's so stressed. (laughs) And then we cut to the ladies in the drawing room and Bingley and Darcy come back and Lizzie jumps up when she sees him and they look at each other and he, he has a purpose. So this is when Bingley suggests they all walk to Meryton. And I had a question about this because in the book, I think that there was a time in between these two times where Bingley was like, why don't we all go for a walk except for Kitty, not you. And Kitty's like, okay, I don't want to go anyway. And then Jane and Bingley walk somewhere else. 
leaving Lizzie and Darcy together. Isn't that something that happens in the book? I don't think so. I think this is the walk, and this is kind of how it happens in the book. But there, no, there's definitely another one. I think I know what you're talking about, but I think it was in a previous episode. I think I know what you're talking about. I mean, they have brunch at the Bennetts in the prior part in the book. Oh, 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 wait. No, it's the next day after this. And they've already, they're already a little bit in love. And then Darcy and Bingley come back again. And it's kind of an in-between time. And Bingley is like pretending like he doesn't know, but he knows. And then he's like, let's all go for a walk. And Kitty wants to not go. And he's like, yeah, Kitty, you shouldn't come. And that gives Lizzie and Darcy time to walk and talk more. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Anyway. Poor Kitty. (laughs) Basically, the end of this film, the miniseries kind of cuts everything short a little bit because there's more talking that needs to happen. But I'll get into my thinking on why they did that later oh absolutely but so they go for a walk and kitty goes to call on mariah lucas so that leaves lizzie and darcy walking behind jane and bingley and lizzie is like trying to work up the courage to say something and then finally she turns to him and she thanks him for his kindness towards lydia and darcy is being really awkward and i also really liked that when they pause it's like lizzie and darcy and then a guy with a horse behind them in the frame, just, like, dealing with his horses, like, listening. He's, like, farming. Leave him alone. Why did they choose this moment to, like, why, that's, like, a whole other person that the crew has to pay? Like, it's so unnecessary. It's gotta be realistic. I guess. David Lynch, the director, I learned this from my Twin Peaks Success boyfriend. He apparently used to, like, pick out extras and be like, I'm gonna give this person a line. It's really gonna piss off the producers. That's hilarious. So I'm just imagining the director being like, just put a, put a farmer back there. Like, just just want to pay someone. It's kind of like in The Office. I was listening to The Office Ladies podcast, and they talked about how Creed's first lines were a mistake. Like, they gave him lines. And he wasn't supposed to have lines because he was supposed to just be an extra. But then one of the camera guys like was like, oh, can you do this scene and like say these lines? And because he had like 10 lines, they had to start paying him. And then everyone loved him so much that he became a series regular. Oh, yeah. But isn't that how like Mindy Kaling's character became like, oh, no, oh, no she was sort a writer. Of, except she was actually a writer. So she like wrote that. Yeah. I mean, people wrote that and like it was more like her and Toby were both writers. But it's fascinating to listen to how Mindy Kaling totally like overtook her character on The Office and made it her own. Oh yeah. So funny. And yeah because like if you look at her in the beginning her hair is up and like she's so like dowdy. Yeah. Dowdy. Her best moment is when they're in like that meeting and she's like first of all how dare you. So I feel when I wake up every morning. (laughs) (laughs) That whole episode where where she was on like that juice cleanse and was looking tired AF. Like, that one still of her is one of my favorite memes to this day. When I am just so tired and so fed up, I whip out that one Mindy Kaling picture. Is that the one where she, like, looks very... Like, she's about to, like, pass out. Like, dark under her eyes. Yeah, she posted that. She posted that on her Instagram. And it was, like, me before quarantine. And it's her, like, looking all great. And then it's me after quarantine. And that's that picture. And she's like, this is great. It is the most relatable thing I've ever seen. Mindy, if you want to come on this podcast, we would love to have you. We would die. I'd like to meet Mindy. Tell you what, Kari, if Mindy comes on the pod, we'll bring you back. Yes! Promise. Yes! (laughs) It's been recorded. It has to happen now. Yes! (laughs) So then... Lizzie says that she wants to thank him on behalf of the whole family and he says that her family owes him nothing. He says as much as I respect them I believe I only thought of you and Lizzie's face when he says that is like swoon. We can see her like just blushing and then he asks if her feelings are what they were last April and he says my affections and wishes are unchanged and if you tell me to I'll stop I'll shut up about it forever and then Lizzie goes oh uh, my feelings my feelings, I'm, 
they're quite the opposite and it's so awkward and, and it's so cute and they just both stand there and they're like smiling and blushing and kind of looking off to the side and it's adorable and exactly what I pictured. It's honestly so like sweet watching Lizzie change her opinion about Darcy. But then it also makes me go like, why was Darcy such a dick in the beginning? Right. Well, he kind of explains why he was in this scene. She says, well, first he says that Lady Catherine gave him hope when she told him about her conversation with Lizzie because he knows that if Lizzie didn't want him, she would have told Lady Catherine so. And Lizzie says like, yeah, you know, because I was so rude to you to your face, of course, I would have no problem in being rude to you behind your back. And he says that she said nothing that he didn't deserve. And then she's like, oh, don't talk to me about what I said back then. I don't. And they're both so embarrassed by how they treated the other person. That makes this so adorable. And then he says and he explains. And this was a longer conversation in the book. This was like three conversations in the book, but whatever. He says that he's been selfish all his life. He was raised with good principles, but he was only taught to act on them selfishly and proudly. And he might still have been that way, but for you, dearest, loveliest Elizabeth. And then they both <laughs> blush again. And it's so charged. Aww. It's so charged. Uh, in a different movie, this is where they would just like French each other. Yes. Yeah, I really... I- Honestly, seeing it in a movie, I'm like, yeah, I guess it doesn't make sense for them to kiss. I was really upset when they didn't kiss in the book, but I guess I'm okay with it because it's very, it's adorable. This is like, like high school. Adorable. It is like high school. Like, oh my God, I like Johnny so much. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, you know when you really like buck up the courage to tell someone you care about them and you're like, um, I just like, I kind of like you. And you nowadays, like, I'll be like, hey, no, you're great. Come with me. <laughs> Not me. Come to my boudoir. No, I'm too shy. I'm Darcy. Aw. You are. <laughs> One thing I will say about this part is that, like I said in the book, there were a few walks where they got to like talk and there was also a chapter that was like, where are they now? And we got to see how everyone like grew and changed and all of this. Here, their conversation gets cut really short, but it's because we got to see so many things happening in real time that we didn't have to hear about how he told Bingley about Jane and how he apologized to him for meddling. Mm -hmm. We don't have to hear about how he went to London and how he knew where Wickham was. Like we saw all of that happen in real time. So we didn't have to talk about it. He and Lizzie will just talk about it off stage. Yes, exactly. And I also think like when you're reading a book, like we can deal more with the inner more thoughts of people. Whereas like movies are so action based that you kind of have to cut out a lot of this end stuff. That's in the book. So then we cut to Jane saying, engaged to Darcy. And Lizzie being like, uh-huh. And she, Jane does not believe her. And Lizzie says, this is a very bad beginning because if you don't believe me, no one will. Okay, also side note, I'm pretty sure this is the first time Lizzie's hair is fully down in the movie. Is it? I don't think so. I don't think so either because they've gotten ready for bed a few times. And her hair was down. Yeah, and she always has her hair in like a braid. Oh, like in a braid. Mm, this is interesting. Jane has been down a few times. Yeah. But we'll have to go back and look for stills of Lizzie with her hair down. But Jane is like shocked. She wants to know how long Lizzie's loved him. And what we've talked about this entire book and movie series like era is that Lizzie is hot for some landscaping and hot for some architecture. And she says, I think I have to date it to when I saw his beautiful grounds at Pemberley. And then they both like cackle at it because they know that that means that she's a gold digger. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But she doesn't. It's not just that. You know what? Good for her. Is she a gold digger? I mean, she's a bit of a gold digger, but like it's just like one of those side things. Obviously, most of the story is about the deep emotions between them. But there is like definitely a little bit of a like. A little bit. 
but she is most definitely not her mother. Mm-mm. And thank God for that. Yeah, thank God for that. But Lydia is her mother, so. Lord. Also, I do think that the other element to the Pemberley visit, so you can look at it as like, wow, this house is so big. I missed out on being this rich. Or you could look at it as like. He treats his servants well. Yeah. Well, also, there's a lot to be said for she felt like she was immediately home there. Like something about it really felt right to her. Yeah. And I think that that's harder to cognize than, oh, these grounds are beautiful. But I think there's a sense of like, this is a place where she immediately felt at ease. She felt like she belonged there. That's a really sweet way to think about it. Which means she was meant to be rich, honey. Mm -hmm. She got a rich soul. She was meant to secure the bag. It's what she deserves. Securing that bag. My study question here is about the proposal. So when we read the books, I kind of had to be like, Molly, they're engaged now. And you were like, no, they're not. Is it more explicit here? And if so, why? No, it's not. It's very understated. Yeah, it's like, it's explicit in that when Jane says, oh, you're engaged to Mr. Darcy. And Lizzie says, yes, we are engaged. Like, that's explicit. But the actual moment of it, no. Very lackluster. So my thing is that, like, it was a bit more clear in the Jane Austen era that they were engaged. But... It's like the making clear how shitty Lydia's actions were for her sisters, that they had to adapt it to a modern audience and be like, she's engaged to him. They're engaged. Like you said to me. But also, I feel like their engagement, since it was like so low key, is just like very like them because they're both very low key people. Mm -hmm. So like it made sense. Yeah, I especially liked and we're going to get into this in the next scene, but they don't diverge from the characters that they have been up until this point until ever actually because they're still even at the wedding and we'll get to this but they are still standing next to each other awkwardly while Bingley and Jane are like grinning at each other literally (laughs) it's so true like in the book when they get married is how they did it in the show the same as the book no we don't see it in the book oh they're just like and after they're married this happens oh yeah we get to see like oh they moved to Pemberley Georgiana learns how to tease Darcy Bingley and Jane move closer to Lizzie. Lydia never sees them all again. I would have loved to see that. Yeah, I I wish there was another episode. Just read the last chapter of the book and you'll get the entire epilogue. Yeah. I would have loved to see like her up in that house, in that sitting room, looking at the lake and her jewels. Watching Darcy swim in the lake. Oh, yeah. Never forget that that was supposed to be a full frontal nude scene. Anyway. We were bamboozled. We were. We were robbed. (laughs) Anyway, that brings us to the last scene of the miniseries. It starts with Daddy Bennett saying, are you out of your senses to be accepting this man? And I love that. He gave his permission to Darcy, but he wants Lizzie to think better of it because he doesn't want her to be in a situation where she cannot respect her partner in life, which I think is very, very sweet. And Lizzie says, you know, if you don't have any other objections aside from him being proud, I'll tell you he is not proud. He is the most generous person that I know. He's the best man I've ever known. She doesn't at this point tell him about Lydia, which I was very upset about because that was one of my favorite parts of the book where she was like, and he paid all this money to get Lydia to get married. And Daddy Bennett was like, ah, great, because now when I offer to pay him back, he's going to be like, no, not on my honor. <laughs> but they left that out. Bamboozled once again. Yeah, they kind of leave behind the whole Lydia plot line. And once she's out of there. I guess that's good. Yeah. Then we cut to the wedding, which is a double wedding. Very strange. I love it. It's just so silly. I thought that was strange. It's super weird. It's like very common, especially in like, 
Austin era literature. I don't know if someone would have to lecture me on whether or not it was actually common in the time. But in the Austin era, there's always seems to be some sort of double wedding happening. Okay, so at the end of As You Like It by our boy William Shakespeare, there is a triple wedding. Mm -hmm. And this reminds me of when I was in that play in high school. And it was the three of us standing on stage in our wedding dresses. And everyone started dancing. That's what this scene felt like to me. It's also the end of Midsummer Night's Dream as well. Oh, yeah, you're right. Was there a triple wedding in that? It's a double wedding. Theseus and Hippolyta, Demetrius and Helena, and Lysander and Hermia. It's a triple wedding. I haven't seen that play in a long time. Wait, who's the first one? Theseus and Hippolyta. I thought they were already married. No, no, no. This is a different classic, but basically the whole story takes place right before Theseus and Hippolyta's wedding, and then they find the lovers in like act four, and they're like, Oh, they all seem to be happy. You want to just like join in on our wedding? Oh, wow. Shakespeare was really into the the triple weddings and apparently so was Jane Austen. Yeah, exactly. But this, I mean, Jane Austen didn't write this scene and I find it hard to believe that, well, actually no, Lizzie and Jane would probably not mind sharing their wedding. No, nah. they're besties. And Darcy definitely doesn't care. The only wedding prince amongst them would be Bingley. He'd want it to be romantic. <laughs> so I really, the way it's introduced as a double wedding is the camera's panning across and it says, we are here gathered today to join this man and this woman. And then the camera pans a little more and it's like, and this man and this, <laughs> this woman. woman. Incredible. Almost like they're all getting married to each other. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh man, I made another note about Darcy's peen. Again, we might have to cut this, but you can see their dongs in their pants. Yeah, their pants are too tight. The who? Bingley and Darcy, you can see their peens. I am mad. <laughs> it's just a little, it's a little distracting. Anyway, so the priest gives a speech about marriage and like what it means. And each part is targeted at a different character in the play. We pan the camera to each of them in turn. So he says, marriage is not something to be engaged in lightly to satisfy carnal lusts and desires. And it goes to the Bennets. And we see Daddy Bennett like look at her and be like, <laughs> yeah, I fucked up way back when, but it's okay. And then he says, marriage should be undertaken reverently and with the fear of God. And we see it pan to Mary. And then we see it pan to Collins. And they're both looking very solemn. And Charlotte, who's standing next to Carla. Yep, and she like looks at him like, ugh. And then he says, marriage was ordained for the procreation of children. And we cut to Lady Catherine and baby DeBerg sitting alone at home being unhappy. That scene sent me. Child, she's sitting in that room, curtains drawn on her throne, her half-dead daughter, <laughs> her nephew done left her. And she's alone. Child, I laugh. <laughs> bad at that point i was like oh she ended up alone she's fine i laughed i said sorry to this man sorry to this i man. am sorry to this man then we see that marriage is ordained to save people from sin and fornication and it cuts to lydia and wickham and their sex den disgusting and you just see wickham look off into the distance like what did i do and lydia's like stroking him with her foot yep and then we see that marriage is connected with mutual society health and comfort of both parties and then we see lizzie and jane and the boys and bingley and jane are like looking at each other and smiling and darcy and lizzie are just like standing there lizzie looks a little bit smiling but darcy is so stoic and like nervous i know this man refuses to be happy he really does he just managed to do an entire six episode series looking like he has to poop the entire time yes <laughs> That is exactly what it is. Until this last bit where they all leave the church and everyone's like throwing 
rose petals at them and Jane and Bingley run out and they're like they both look like puppy dogs and they get into their carriage actually Bingley looks like a puppy dog Jane is still kind of Jane like smiling stoically but like she's happy very like Princess Diana on her wedding day ah yes yes and then Lizzie and Darcy get into their carriage and Darcy is finally smiling and he's laughing and he's so happy I never thought I'd see the day I know and it's adorable it is cute it's hot and then what do we get for the very end. The carriage takes off and then they look at each other and very, very slowly they move in for the kiss and then they kiss and then it freeze frames on their kiss and then you get to look at them kissing for the next 10 minutes while the credits roll. And they all lived happily ever after. Woo-hoo! Yay! Yay! They should do like a sequel where like Collins finally gets the house. Then I want to see that drama. <gasps> Oh my God, about Charlotte and Collins' kids. Yes, I want to see the drama. I also hate how they made Charlotte like from a badass into like a milkmaid grandma. I was like not for that character development. She chose that life. She did. She went from wearing those nice cute dresses and little headbands to a bonnet. And I said, oh no. It's a sad, sad truth. I feel so bad for her. It really is. All right. We finished the 1995 BBC adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. So Graham, give us some party music here. I wish I played violin or something. (laughs) So uh, that brings us to Becca's final study questions. And these are just uh, ones we do at the end of every episode. So we have best line delivery. All right. So I wrote down several options and some honorable mentions are Mr. Darcy, you see, is the man, Mr. Darcy of all men, or are the shades of Pemberley to be thus polluted? But I think that the winner is it's a conversation, actually, and I'm just going to do both parts. You admit that you were in the wrong? Absolutely and completely. Then I have your blessing? Do you need my blessing? No, but I should like to know I have it all the same. Then go to it. (laughs) (laughs) That was a funny scene. I love it. Incredible. Kari, what's your favorite line delivery? The first one was when Lady Catherine de Bourgh is like, do you promise not to get engaged to my nephew? And then Lizzie's all like, I will make no promise of the kind. And I must beg you not to importune me any further on the subject. Yes. And then when old Lady Catherine de Wack, before (laughs) she gets into her little carriage, and she's like, so this is your answer. And then Lizzie's all like, I'm only resolved to act in a manner which will constitute my own happiness without reference to you or to any person so wholly unconnected with me. Snaps all around. And then Lady Catherine says, I said no compliments to your mother. Like, wow. Ooh, got me there. Great choice. So my two choices are short, but incredible. First, it's the obvious obstinate, headstrong girl. I want it on a t-shirt. I want it. I want it on a mug. I want it on my tombstone. I want it on the title of my memoir. <laughs> And the second uh, honorable mention here, but hang Kitty. Oh, poor Kitty. Poor Kitty. She just wants to live her best life. Exactly. I I care nothing for such baubles. Quiet, girl. Who asked you? (laughs) Next question. Uh, Notable differences between the book and the movie? Well, that addition of the scene between Darcy and Bingley, I really loved. And obstinate, headstrong girl, obviously. Obviously. I mean, I love Darcy in a wet shirt. That was hot. Mm-hmm. Yes. Always, always. I'm going to say the kiss at the end. Oh, right. Oh, that was sweet. It took them 10 years to get there, but the kiss happened after like, <laughs> oh, 
They were moving slow. They were. They took it slow. It's okay. Favorite and least favorite parts of the episode? Favorite part of the episode is gotta be when Lady Catherine de Berg says, I take no leave of you, Miss Bennett. And does her little voice flip and is so mad. And just like Lizzie. Uh, and then Lizzie looks. You can see across her face that she's like, Darcy's gonna know. And then, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I liked that whole scene. I also really liked, obviously, when they confessed their love to each other, but it wasn't my favorite part. Oh, but another favorite part was when Bingley came in and he was like, here I am. <laughs> my fave part is the Bennett de Berg brawl. Mm. Mm-hmm. incredible that's like my favorite part i would also give it to the bennett Berg brawl but i'm gonna give it to another moment also just for sake of having three answers here and that is mrs bennett winking oh! at kitty <laughs> never forget oh my gosh shit i forgot about that that's also my favorite part apparently i have a lot of favorite parts damn it kitty like ugh. honestly i don't even have a least favorite for this episode it's really just well done this one it was it's really well done but i will say one least favorite part that i have is when Wickham calls Lizzie his sister. Ooh. Gross. Always gross. I don't think I have a least favorite part. It's either. a really good episode. Yeah. They really nailed this one. Yeah. And then finally, who wins the episode? Lizzie. Lizzie. I said Lizzie and Jane. I like that. Queens with a double wedding at the end. Yeah. Yeah. I have one more question. Kari, you told me that you picked fashion winners for each episode too. Oh my God. I want to hear them right now. So this episode, I think the fashion winner was probably, like, Lady Catherine de Berg. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she was kind of the winner. And then, like, Lizzie had her cute little fashion moment, but, like, old Lady Dewack won. Lady Dewack, yeah. For, like, the first and second episodes, because, like, cause, like, they have, like, two, like, balls, I know. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, like, one, there's one in the first episode, there's one in the second. And, like, I have to say, Mrs. Bennett, she did that. She really showed up to the function. She and did. she really gave it her all. She outdid her daughters. Mm-hmm. And then, like, episodes, like, Three, five, and six. It was kind of like, well, three and five. It's kind of like the Bingsley sisters, even though I hate them, but their fashion was on point. Mm -hmm. But that's only because they're rich. Mm. So like, you know, of course, well, actually, you know, I've seen a lot of poorly dressed rich people. So that means absolutely nothing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If anything, I respect someone who can look cute on a budget. I eat me. (laughs) But yeah, like, like first, like one through five was like between like the sisters and Mrs. Bennett. They were like the ones who were really turning the looks. And then at the end was Lady Catherine DeWack. And I'm just going to give an honorable mention here to Darcy's nipples in episode yes, four. Yes, yes. Very fashionable. And is, you know, hairy chest down to the happy trial. Very into that. Very for that. I was going to give an honorable mention to his his lucky coat. Oh, The really fancy one? The one that he was like, no, my green coat. And then he got oh, his yeah, green yeah, yeah, coat. Yeah. He had to go propose in his green coat. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was cute. Yeah. That was cute. Well. All right, listeners. That concludes this episode of Pot and Prejudice. And by extension, let's see if we can do this in one breath. Our covering of the 1995 BBC adaptation of Pride and Prejudice starring Colin Firth and Jennifer Eel. Yay! The trick apparently is to take like an operatic breath before you say it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Deep breath. Kari, thank you so much for joining us. Tell the people where they can find you. You can find me on Instagram at Titus's Twin. T I T U S S T W I N. And if you want to know why it's that name, listen to the first part. Ha! Now you have to listen. Hell yeah! <laughs> yes. 
All right, listeners, thank you so much for joining us on this journey. Until next time, stay proper. Have yourself a double wedding. And wear nice fashion. Yes. And wear nice fashion. At your double wedding. Yes. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our beautiful show art is designed by Torrance Brown. To learn more about our show and our team, you can check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you like what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us or just drop us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.